The factory owner was always watching his employees to make sure they were working hard and, and not loafing on the job. And while making one of his regular tours of the factory, he spotted a young man just leaning against a, a pile of boxes just outside the foreman's office. And the owner, hidden from view, decided to watch and see just how long the young man would stand around doing nothing. The young man yawned, scratched his head, looked at his watch, sat down on the floor, he took out a, a nail file, began to clean his nails, and the owner could take it no longer. He stepped over to the young man and said, you, how much do you make a week? The young man looked up with an expression of indifference and said, $250. The owner peeled out $250 of his own money from his money clip. He shoved it at the young man and said, take it and get out and don't let me see you around here ever again. The young man put the cash in his pocket left without any hint of remorse or embarrassment. When the owner found the foreman, he said, I got rid of that goof off in front of your office. I gave him a week's pay and fired him. What's the matter with you letting him stand around as if he had nothing to do? You mean the kid in the red shirt? Asked the foreman. Yeah, yeah, the kid in the red shirt. The foreman explained, he was waiting for the, the $20 we owed him for lunch. He works at the corner coffee shop just around, around the corner. Well, the, the topic of handling money applies to everyone in the room or worshiping with us online. It's, it's a subject in which we are all interested. Today, this new message series that we begin explores our attitudes toward money. And so we have a resource that we want to make a, a, available to each family or individual in, in the church. It's, it's a book called Take God at His Word. It's written by a, a minister in Missouri, and it contains just some helpful, timeless principles, promises from the Bible about being good stewards of what God has provided for us. The good news is we have a free book for you. The bad news is they haven't arrived at the de deadline that was promised to us. So uh, they assured us they would be here to distribute today. And unless uh, some, someone knows where they're at, we'll have to hand those out to you next Sunday. If you're in the building during the week for something, stop in and, and, and pick up your, your copy. And we want to be reading this as we go along because it just really reinforces what we're studying. The, the title for today's message is, I Will Make You Rich in, in Every Way. And it's not some slick brand of a health and wealth gospel as sometimes spouted by certain tele-evangelists, but God has promised, I will make you rich in every way. It's a biblical concept straight from God. And very simply, God can provide what we need and then some. So don't miss this because this is the key that from that surplus that God provides, we are to give and share with others. I want us to understand today that as we trust God with our finances, he provides more so we can help more. Years ago, the, the world watched when pop musicians united to address alleviating hunger when a, a famine struck the, the country of Ethiopia. They recorded a song, We Are the World, and they raised awareness and millions of dollars for a worthy cause. At that same time, I watched an episode on 2020 in which, in a related story, they reported a story about children living on welfare in an inner-city New York tenement housing project and how they had sacrificed, and in two weeks' time, they had raised thousands of dollars to go directly to the We Are the World collection efforts. These poor kids from the slums of New York gave to assist the starving children in Ethiopia who were suffering even greater poverty and hunger than they 
You know, when times are tough, there can be a, a human tendency to concentrate on our own problems. And, and taken to excess, this focus can lead to selfishness and the, the justification that, well, charity begins at home. And the attitude can develop, let's be sure that we're taken care of first and whatever's left, whatever we can spare, whatever we didn't want anyway, then that's okay to give to others. These poor, struggling, inner-city individuals would probably seem like unlikely candidates to offer financial assistance to anyone. It's a modern-day example that mirrors the story of the Bible that we will study today. A first-century story from A.D. 55 in another part of the world in Macedonia where modern-day Greece is, is located. So I want us to, to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to listen to the reading of our text from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But right now, let's, let's go to God and ask his blessing on this series. Dear Lord, as, as we study the next three weeks, these three messages and the, the chapters that we read from the book, that we pray we will be challenged to take you at your word, to understand your promises and embrace them so that as you bless us, that we can be a blessing to others and, and give out to those who are in need. So uh, speak to us through our study of your word today, we pray in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's understand some background and, and context here on, on 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The, the early church was conceived in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. And then local churches uh, sprung from her members that were the, the fruit of, of her womb. So the church in Jerusalem, although the firstborn, was suffering some postnatal problems that, that threatened her life. Soon after the church was was found that this severe famine struck, hitting the, the church in Jerusalem especially hard. We read about that in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. It left many of its members starving. And, and Paul's heart bled for these people, so he, he organized a relief effort calling upon the church in the city of Corinth to help meet the needs of her mother church in Jerusalem. Now, unfortunately, Paul's plea went unheeded the affluent Corinthians clutched their wallets tightly while the poorer congregation of Macedonia dug deeply into their pockets and gave and gave and gave. What made the difference between these two churches, Corinth and, and Macedonia? Unlike the self-centered Corinthians, the generous Macedonians first gave themselves to the Lord. God's goals were their primary concern, so they found it easy to give with joy. And the passage we study today is Paul's letter to the Corinthian Christians calling them to generosity and giving, calling them to honor their initial commitment. We pick up the story, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Paul writes, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. God is the source of all we have. He provides us with jobs. He has given us the ability to make a living, the, the power to earn an income. We are called to be wise managers of that which he has entrusted to us. And if we are found faithful with little, then we can be trusted to manage more and have larger opportunities to steward his money. And there are three prevailing attitudes toward giving back to God that are, that are spoken of in this passage. The first is grudge giving. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. The law of the harvest is you reap what you sow. If a, a farmer or a gardener is stingy with planting and sowing the seed, it will reduce the yield when it comes time to harvest. If you sow liberally without cutting a corner, you will have a much greater exponential return on your investment, a bigger crop. And so this is the principle. You reap what you sow. That's the, the law of the harvest. Grudge giving is when we're giving reluctantly, out of a sense of obligation, but without any joy. And so that, that caution is that we want to check our hearts, our motivation for giving. And if you're giving with a, a grudge motivation, it's better not to give. Some of you may recognize the name Jennifer O'Neill. She was a, a famous actress, a model, endorsed a lot of products. She was an equestrian, and I happened to be at a, a large church in another state when she was sharing her testimony, and afterward, I was browsing in the church bookstore, and the senior minister's wife came up to me and spoke to me, and she said, hey, come with me. I'll introduce you to Jennifer O'Neill, and she added, Jennifer has horses too, and I'm sure she'd like to meet you and talk about her horses. I thought, cool. So the minister's wife whisked me up there, squired me to the front of the line ahead of 20 paying customers who were waiting in line for Jennifer O'Neill to autograph at the book signing for these admiring fans. We talked for a few minutes. As she was signing books, I stood at the edge of the table, and, and then the actress looked at me directly and asked a question that pierced me to the core of my being. Did you want to have a book signed? And I'm ashamed to say that I lied, and I said, uh, yeah. And she grabbed a hardback book from that neat stack, took a black Sharpie, autographed my copy, and handed it to me as I numbly proceeded to pay $29.99 for her book, which did turn out to be a good book. But I felt a little pressured into making the purchase. I was reluctant, and it was clearly grudge-giving on my part. Verse 7 says, each of you should give what you have decided to give. It is personal. 
The church never suggests or assigns an amount. We invite you over the next three weeks to be praying, Lord, how much would you have me give to your work at BCC in the coming year of 2023? And you make that a matter of prayer, and you let God guide you to that number after prayer and, and contemplation. You know, none of us knows exactly how much money we will make in the coming year, but God knows. And so we ask God to help guide us in that decision process of how much he would have us give. God doesn't want us to give to him reluctantly. That's Jennifer O'Neill giving. That's grudge giving. And then this passage goes ahead and it warns us to avoid guilt giving. That's another approach where someone just feels coerced into it and uh, pressured and, and guilted into to doing that. That's not our approach either. Verse 7 goes on to caution about giving under compulsion with this sense of, of duty that borders on guilt. Um, we don't do that here. We don't play violin music and, and try to manipulate a response by making people feel guilty. It's very low-key. It's very non-threatening. We, we, on November 20th, will give our commitment cards for the coming year, and we write the amount that with God's help, I hope and intend to give this amount of money in 2023. There's not even a place to sign your name. We don't want you to sign your name. It's a, a private, unsigned covenant that, that's vertical. It's between you and God. It's, it's not horizontal. And so each November, for three weeks, we, we talk about what God's Word says on this topic of, of managing money that He has entrusted to us, that the Lord has given us. And we don't camp out there. It's not a hobby horse. We don't talk about it all year long. But during this, this focus for our, our faith promise, we're asking the question, will I take God at his word? Will I do what he says? And so it's entirely between you and God. My, my job is just to tell you what God says about giving, and then the Holy Spirit will guide you in your response. And God wants to make you rich, providing for you so that you can share and provide for others. So as we trust God with our finances, he provides more so we can help more. If you're not familiar with the, the faith promise uh, concept, let me just break that down. And, and it means different things in different churches. And a faith promise commitment is a prayerfully arrived at decision of how much of one's income to give to the Lord's work. It's a sacrificial amount that goes beyond what one can safely afford to give. We, we can all project, I, I think I could comfortably give this amount to the Lord next year. A faith promise goes beyond that. It, it involves this covenant with God, committing beyond what one can safely see to give with the understanding God can provide additional funds as we step toward him in faith. And so faith promise constitutes a, a step of faith beyond what we can tangibly afford to give. It's a commitment beyond what one can safely see to give. It's with the understanding that God is able to provide, and as we step toward him, in faith, we're relying on him to provide. If that money isn't provided, again, no salesman will call. No one would know. That's between you and God. It's, it's a time to reflect, to pray, to wrestle, and to step out in faith. And so that's the, the value of this is it's a time of spiritual growth for us as individuals and as a church as we prayerfully wrestle with this. I point you back to those Macedonian Christians. The secret in their giving to the impoverished, famine-stricken Jerusalem Christians was they gave themselves first to the Lord. When God has our hearts, 
when he comes first in our lives, when he is the top priority in our time, when serving him becomes our first energy, when it's difficult not to include him in our conversations, when he is made Lord of all of our lives, then everything will fall into proper place in our lives. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that was in the context of his part of the message on worrying. People were saying, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know if we're going to have enough to eat. I don't know what we're going to wear. I'm worried about that. And that's when Jesus came out with that verse and said, you know, first things first, honor God first, and those other things will fall into place. He has a way of providing and working them out. And so that becomes a motivation not for grudge giving, not for guilt giving, but for glad giving. God has promised rewards that include financial blessings, but we must be committed to following his purpose. And I hope uh, you'll pick up one of the books here as soon as they come in and, and read through. It's a, a very easy, short read, and again, it just corresponds with our, our focus. So I'm going to give you a little bit of chapter one, and it, it contains three rewards from God's word if we give to God. Uh, the first reward is it says, you will be made rich in every way. And that doesn't mean you're, you're going to get a yacht. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. God's definition of rich is being able to be generous. He says, I'm going to take care of your needs, and you'll have some more that you can help take care of other people's needs. That's wealth. That's true, true riches. You will be made rich in, in every way. And that's what our, our text is, is saying, verses 10 and 11. The, the second reward is you will receive more than you give. You can't outgive God. You will always receive more than you give. Again, this isn't you know, always a financial thing. It, it may be you'll receive more love, more friendship, more support, more, spot, more smiles, just more encouragement. Uh, those, are, those are ways that we receive, and those are blessings that, that come from honoring God. And then there's a third reward that, that's mentioned, and that's you will receive a, a greater blessing. Sometimes that comes in a, a spiritual form of, of wisdom or, or faith or encouragement. Sometimes it may mean that, that God will provide you with uh, a good deal. Just, you're able to buy something at a good price and, and substantial savings. You may be able to resell that later. Or maybe it's a, uh, you know, his helping you with, with a purchase. Um, maybe it's him sustaining your car. Lord, I'm going to keep driving this car and and uh, I know the miles are getting high, but rather than go out and you know, buy a new car, uh, I'm going to ask you to keep my, my old car going, and that will give me more money to be able to, to share with others and, and build your kingdom. Maybe it's praying that an appliance keeps, keeps working. You know, that, you know, I know this appliance is about 20 years old. It's, it's kind of reached its life expectancy, but Lord, would you, would you keep that refrigerator going? Would you keep my stove going? And, and I, I'm going to be able to be in a position to give more to your kingdom and, and to bless other people. Maybe it's God providing additional earning ability or, or some networking. These blessings can take a lot of different forms. It, it's, it, this isn't the health and wealth gospel of, you know, you know g- getting rich. That's, that's not the, the spiritual concept here. Let's go back to verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9. God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you abundantly 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God has promised to provide our needs, not necessarily our greeds. And so as he supplies our needs, and often we get more than that, we're in a position to share from that abundance uh, to help ministries, missions, outreach, benevolence, those that are in greater need. It says in verse 9, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Uh, There's a a living Bible paraphrase of one of the the Proverbs in the Old Testament, and and it says something to the effect of, um, when you give money to the poor, God pays great interest. And and that's a a double entendre. You know, God blesses us back when we are generous and and benevolent, and God takes note of of that. He, He sees that. Verse 10, now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. He will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I found these principles of giving to be true in my own life experience. I remember the summer before my freshman year in high school, and I attended Christ in Youth Conference. And while at CIY, we were asked to make financial commitments to help support that ministry. At the time, I didn't have any income. I was seeking a job. I had had an interview before going to the CIY, but I didn't have the assurance of a job yet. And so in faith, I committed while at CIY that I would give $8 a month to be given to Christ and youth and their ministry. And $8 a month doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you have no money, it was a step of faith. Saying, God, if you will provide that money, I'll give it to this worthy ministry. When I returned home from CIY, I I learned that the the nearby restaurant had called back and offered me a job as a busboy, earning the current lucrative minimum wage of $1.50 an hour. And while I wasn't going to get rich, God had responded to my step of faith and had provided me with sufficient income to cover my $8 a month commitment. Well, let me share a, a surprising statistic Studies on congregational giving indicate that in the average church, this is nationally in America, 20% of the members give 80% of the funds. 30% of the members give 20% of the funds. And 50% of the members give nothing at all. There's a danger in falsely assuming that Hey, the church is doing all right. They don't need my help. Someone else will pick up the slack, so I don't have to do as much. But we're instructed in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 to grow in our grace of giving. It says, since you excel in everything, you're trying to grow in your Christian maturity, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. It's mentioned specifically alongside all those spiritual things that we think of. I should do better controlling my speech. I need to have more faith. I need to improve my Bible knowledge. We see those as being spiritual responses. And and Paul's quick to say, hey, don't miss this. You need to also excel, not just subsist or get by or float along, but with the 
majority, but you need to excel in the grace of giving. And the reason is a growing Christian is a giving Christian. We're challenged to grow, to improve, to increase, to excel in all these areas of spirituality. And there's this obvious progression. If a Christian is trying to take on this increasing likeness of Christ, then we need to also excel in the grace of giving. What's maybe a not so obvious area that could be overlooked, but is, is called out specifically. So if we're taking on the personality and practice of our master, Jesus Christ, then we will want to give and to grow to give more and continue to grow to give away more and more of the bounty he has entrusted to us. See that you excel in the grace of giving. I got a text from a, a Christian friend who's been going through a job search for the past six months and Throughout this season of unemployment, he has tried to honor God and remain positive and patient. His text read, when tempted to worry about money, I think about this. We give because we're always rich enough to share. Giving opens the way to receiving, and I am blessed. End of quote. So consumers become contributors who in turn become committed followers. As we trust God with our finances, he provides more so we can help more. What enabled the Macedonians to be glad givers? They gave themselves first to the Lord. He had their hearts. They were sold out, completely, deeply devoted to living for him. It wasn't a question of, well, it's raining today. Did we really want to go to church today or, or, or not? The matter was already settled. They continued to meet together daily in the temple courts and in their homes, Acts 2.46. It didn't matter what the message topic was or, or who was speaking. They gave themselves first to God, and that was the purpose to assemble with other Christians, to worship him, to be in his presence. It didn't revolve around whether they knew the songs or they were familiar. It, it didn't center on the style of music, whether it was old school, traditional Jewish anthems or whether it was that crazy new sound, the Greek uh, Roman music. And they, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And that's why it became instinctive, reflexive, impulsive to give. One of our stated core values as a church is generosity. It states, we value developing the attribute of instinctively giving more. They gave themselves first to God. A teacher was explaining fractions to her young class, and she said, now, Jimmy, there are five members in your family, and your mother bakes a pie. What fraction of the pie would you get? He said, one quarter. She said, no, 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 you, you don't understand fractions. He said, no, ma'am, you don't understand my mother. She'd say she didn't want any so we could have bigger slices. <laughs> Generosity begins when we give ourselves completely to God. Consecration precedes contribution. When we truly give God our hearts, our money will follow. The issue is lordship. It's not enough to give him our dollars. He wants our desires. It's not enough to give him our checks. He wants our choices. God wants to control our lives and direct us toward ultimate fulfillment. And as we trust God with our finances, he provides more so we can help more. 
I'm going to close with, with a story from the book, In Other Words. Sadie Seeker tells about serving for many years as a house parent for missionary children in, in the Philippines. And, and Sadie loved books. And though she gladly loaned her books out to others, there were some which she treasured and kept in a footlocker protected under her bed. And one night, in the quiet of the night, Sadie heard a faint gnawing sound. And after searching all around her room, she discovered that the noise was coming from the footlocker beneath her bed. And when she opened it, she found nothing but an enormous pile of dust. All the books that she had treasured and kept to herself had been lost to termites. And it was then that she discovered an eternal truth. What we give away, we keep. What we hoard, we lose. Today, I want to challenge you to live with heavenly purpose and kingdom priorities. Sometimes someone uncomfortable with what the Bible teaches will object, well, all the church wants is your money. And really, just the opposite is true. Christ wants you. He wants your life. He wants your time. He wants your abilities. And your money is just a, a part of surrendering completely to his will and, and his way. And through the Lord and, and his grace, we want to offer you an opportunity for the greatest of riches today, for the, the promise of eternal life, for forgiveness of your sins, for a, a new purpose and, and lease on life. Would, would you stand right now with me? Will, will you come to him now and put him first in every area of your life? in your thoughts, in your actions, in your time, in your talents, in your friendships, in your finances. We invite you to come to the front if you want to respond to him as we sing.